The following message is brought to you by Morgan Hill Bible Church. For all things MHBC, connect with us on social media and check us out online at mhbible.org. Well, good morning, church. So good to be with you here this morning. Uh, For those that don't know me, my name is Ben. I'm one of the pastors here. And I was a youth pastor for like 15 years. And so it just makes me smile seeing you guys sitting here and just pumped and excited. Glad you guys had such an awesome time at camp. The rest of you, come and talk to these students. Come and ask them about their time. One question I'm sure will get them going and just sharing about the fun that they had, but also how God showed up and moved in their lives and drew them closer to him. So please come and talk to these students. Thrilled to have you guys right here front row. That's awesome. I love it. Yeah. However, life is not easy. Life is not easy. If anyone tells you otherwise, guard your wallet because they're coming after you. Life's not easy. We deal with work, with school, with relationships, with family issues, peer pressure, politics, war, anxiety, depression, financial woes, health issues, difficult decisions. The list goes on and on. And once you've finally figured one out or conquered it or moved past it or whatever, bam, here comes another one and another one. It seems like it never ends. So what do you do? How do you cope? There's lots of different ways people try to handle the difficulties of life. Some of them healthy, some of them unhealthy. I'd invite you this morning to open in your Bibles to Psalm 22. Psalm chapter 22, right in the middle of your Bible, or if you have a worship guide, it's right there as well. Today, we're going to look at what this psalm says in regards to living through the challenges that life throws at you. But the beauty of this psalm is that there's this whole other layer that we're going to explore as we look with the rest of Scripture in mind. Our series that we're going through right now is called Foretold. This is week five of seven. Today, the title is The Mortal Messiah. And through this series, we've been looking at how the whole Old Testament points ahead to Jesus. See, the Bible is a collection of books, but it's not intended to be looked at as a bunch of individual pieces of literature. Rather, this is one cohesive work put together by 40 different authors over a period of about 1,500 years as God inspired these authors to write, pointing to this one same message that is throughout the entirety of Scripture, that it's all about Jesus. Everything points to Jesus. And this is the second of four weeks. We're looking specifically at Jesus's last weeks leading up to his death. Uh, Last week, Michael walked us through a prophecy that was looking at Jesus's triumphal entry into Jerusalem. And this week and the next two weeks, we're looking at prophecies in the Old Testament that point ahead to Jesus's death on the cross. As I said, today we're looking at Psalm 22. We're going to start by looking at what the psalm says in regards to facing life's challenges, and then we will see what insight it gives us into Jesus. 
So if you like taking notes like me, uh, go ahead and pull out that worship guide. Here come your first blanks to fill in. Because first, this psalm teaches us to hope in God and what he has done. And I'd encourage you, if you're writing this down, write the word has in all capitals. Because we're going to linger on that a little bit. It's key that we're talking about what God has done. The psalm teaches us to hope in God and what he has done. This psalm was written by King David, and we're going to start by looking at how he's feeling as he's writing this. So Psalm chapter 22, beginning in verse 1. We're going to read a couple verses, jump ahead, read some more verses, jump ahead. It starts out by saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. And by night, but I find no rest. Jump down to verse six. I am a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him for he delights in him. Jumping down to verse 11, be not far from me for trouble is near and there is none to help. Many bulls encompass me, strong bulls of Bashan surround me. They open wide their mouths at me like a ravening and roaring lion. I am poured out like water and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within my breast. My strength is dried up like a potsherd and my tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death. For dogs encompass me, a company of evildoers encircles me. They've pierced my hands and feet. I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them. And for my clothing, they cast lots. There's real hurt and pain here. David begins by saying he feels abandoned by God, that he's reaching out to God and isn't hearing anything back. Then we get more insight into what's going on. He's being despised, scorned, mocked, ridiculed. Others are laughing at him. Hey, I thought God was supposed to save you. Doesn't seem like he's doing anything for you. Where's your hope now? He's also feeling some trouble with with no support. He feels surrounded by danger. In verse 12, it talks about these bulls of Bashan. Bashan was this fertile area east of the Sea of Galilee, and it was known for its absolutely enormous cattle. So here he is surrounded, like he's got no exit, no way to get out. Verse 14, it's got this poetic imagery. I'm poured out like water. All my bones are out of joint. In other words, like I I, I can't move. I can't go anywhere. My heart is like wax. It's melted within my breast. Maybe some of you felt that yesterday with the heat coming in. Um, Not exactly what he's going for there, but rather just like my heart is melting away. Like I don't have a grasp on anything. As he continues, he's saying he, he, he can't speak. He has no, no strength. It talks about a potsherd, which is a broken piece of pottery, something that's absolutely useless. Again, he feels surrounded by danger. He feels he's being, excuse me, he's being mocked and he's being robbed. Maybe you can connect with some or all of what he's feeling. Maybe you feel abandoned by God. 
surrounded by danger, alone. You can't move or speak. You feel like your heart is melting away. Now, it helps people process this. What helps people move forward, keep going when they're facing something difficult is hope. Oh, the sickness is debilitating, but I have hope that I'll get better. This season of unemployment has been long, but I hope that I will get this job that I applied for. I'm not getting along with this family member, but I have hope that we'll be able to resolve the issue. And the strength or assurance of what or who you hope in impacts how strong or weak your hope is. It's the difference between hoping for a tasty lunch and you're headed to a brand new restaurant versus hoping for a tasty lunch and you're going to one of your favorite spots. One of them, you have a little bit more confidence, right? I I hope this lunch is good. Never been here before versus I hope this lunch is good. I'm confident that's going to be. It's my favorite spot. Look at where David places his hope. Look in this psalm. Again, we're going to look at some little pieces and then jump forward. Starting in verse 3. David says, Yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. In you our fathers trusted. They trusted and you delivered them. To you they cried and were rescued. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. Jump down to verse 9. Yet you are he who took me from the womb. You made me trust you at my mother's breasts. On you I was cast from my birth, and from my mother's womb you have been my God. And then jump to verse 19. But you, O Lord, do not be far off. O you, my help, come quickly to my aid. Deliver my soul from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dog. Save me from the mouth of the lion. You have rescued me from the horns of the wild oxen. David's hope is in God and in what he has, past tense, done. Each of these sections that we just looked at, it begins with a turn. It starts with his complaints, and then it has a transition word, either yet or but. So he's saying, look, here's my emotions. Here's what I'm dealing with. All of this is true. All of this is stuff that I'm staring at and dealing with. And what I'm about to say is also true, but there's a shift in both focus and in content. First, the the focus shifts from David to God. As he's talking about his complaints, as he's sharing what he's dealing with, as he's talking about all the garbage, he's talking about himself. He uses a lot of I language, me. This is what's happening to me. This is what I am dealing with. And then at every turn, the second word is the word you. Yet you, God, yet you, but you. I'm dealing with this. I'm frustrated about this, but you. He takes the focus off of himself and what he's dealing with and looks towards his savior. He shifts his focus. That's where he's going to find his hope. 
But then the content shifts also. It shifts from present tense complaints to past tense celebrations. David's way of dealing with what was presently happening to him was talking about what God did in the past. Look at this language. In you, our fathers trusted, they trusted and you delivered, past tense, them. They were rescued. In that first turn, he's focused on uh, generations in the past and what God did there. In the second turn, he's looking back at who God has been in his life. You took, past tense, me from the womb. On you, I was cast. You have been my God. Past tense language. In the third turn, he's combining both of those, looking back at past generations and what God has done. You have rescued me from the horns of the wild oxen. He's looking back. So here David's complaints are focused on him and his present circumstances, but his hope is in God and what he has done in the past. That's his assurance, and it's a pretty strong assurance. But there's something else worth noting. We did a lot of jumping. There's three sections of this complaint and then turn language in this psalm. It's not just a bunch of complaints and then a bunch of, but God, this is who you were, etc., etc. But rather it's split up into three sections and that's very intentional. Because how often do you and I reach out to God, voice our complaints, and then realize, okay, the focus is on you, God, and, and, and this is what it's all about, and I'm running after you. But then life comes again. The challenges come again. And so we need to do this again. Rinse and repeat. Rinse and, like We need to keep doing this and going back to this multiple times. Even if we can react to our difficult situations in a healthy way, that doesn't guarantee that everything will be better immediately. In the voyage of the Dawn Treader, Edmund, Lucy, and King Caspian are traveling um, on this ship with a crew, and they're looking to find some lost lords of Narnia. And at one point, they're fully surrounded by complete darkness, and danger is all around them. They're in an absolutely terrifying situation. Lucy's watching the crew become more and more terrified. So she cries out to Aslan, the God figure in the book. Here's what it says. Lucy whispered, Aslan, Aslan, if you ever loved us at all, send us help now. The darkness did not grow any less. But she began to feel a little, a very, very little better. The darkness did not grow any less. The circumstance didn't change. What made her feel better in that moment was the recognition that Aslan had not abandoned them. So often we cry out to God in our difficult circumstances, and the circumstances don't change. But we can see here in this psalm that sometimes we need to return to God multiple times, continue to speak truth, even when those circumstances don't change. Because God hasn't left us. He hasn't abandoned us. He's with us. 
So we need to continue to come back to that. That's why it's here three times. Here's cycle one. Here's cycle two. Here's cycle three. We need that over and over and over. So David focuses on God and what he's done. But how does looking back on what God has done give him hope for the future? How does it give David hope for the future? Again, let's look at these two first two verses, and then we're going to look at verse 24. Again, it says, Psalm 22, 1, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. And by night, but I find no rest. God, I'm yelling. I'm calling out to you. And I hear nothing. I feel like I'm alone. I feel like I'm abandoned. I feel like I've got nobody. I don't even feel like I've got you. Look at what he says in verse 24. For he, talking about God, has not despised or abhorred the affliction of the afflicted. He has not hidden his face from him, but has heard when he cried to him. This is how I'm feeling. I'm feeling like you're alone, but I recognize the truth that you have not abandoned me, that you are with me. Even when I'm yelling to you and I don't hear anything back, I know and am confident in the fact that you are listening, that you are paying attention to me. You have not abandoned me. I feel like you have, but I recognize in the midst of my despair, in the midst of my difficulty, that you are here. So David expresses his feelings and then he remembers God's faithfulness. He looks back, look at what you've done for them. Look at how you've been faithful here. And if God has been faithful there, he's going to be faithful again because God never changes. He's the same God yesterday, today, and forever. He was faithful then. You think he's not going to be faithful now? Of course not. He's always going to be faithful. You have been so, so good to me. We just sang it. Guess what he's going to do? Later today, he's going to be so, so good. You know what he's going to do tomorrow? He's going to be so, so good because he never changes. So when life gets difficult, or as life continues to be difficult, learn from David's example. Focus on God. This is me, this is where I'm at, yet you. Remember what he has done. Remember what he's done in your life. Remember what he's done in the lives of others. Sometimes you need that boost. I'm having trouble remembering what God's done to me. Ask somebody around you, what's God done for you? Don't have anyone right around you? Look in scripture. It's full of the good things that God has done and how he's continued to be faithful. So you do that. You look back at what God's done. Trust that he's going to be faithful again. And then repeat. Keep going, keep going. Obviously, there's so much more to do in facing life's challenges. But this should be where you start. If this isn't a part of your process, you need to include it. So from this psalm, we, we learn that we need to hope in God and what he's done. But our series is looking at Jesus in the Old Testament. We're talking about this psalm because Jesus quotes it from the cross. 
So I'd invite you to turn to Matthew chapter 27. Matthew chapter 27. This is said in both Matthew and Mark's account. We're just looking at Matthew's. Matthew chapter 27, verse 46, it says this. At about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lemme sabachthani. That is my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That should sound familiar. That's the first half of verse one in Matthew 20, or excuse me, in Psalm 22. So what's the significance that Jesus quotes this Psalm? What do we learn about Jesus from this? Well, first we learn that Jesus understands our hurts. Jesus understands our hurts. It's important to know, first of all, that Jesus is fully God. He's not just the son of God, but rather he is fully God. He's called Emmanuel, which means God with us. Uh, In the book of Titus, Paul is talking and he talks about Jesus as our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. In John 10, the Jews are wanting to stone Jesus, not because of the miracles that he was doing, but rather because he claimed to be God. They understood exactly what he was trying to say, and they wanted to kill him because they got, yeah, he's saying that he's God. John 1 begins by saying, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Jesus is fully God, but Jesus is also fully human. John continues in chapter one, he says, and the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Here, fully God is becoming man, becoming incarnate, putting on human skin, just like the rest of us. Michael brought up Philippians 2 last week. It says that he was born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. Jesus is fully man as well. The gospels give us glimpses into his humanity. We see in Matthew 4 and 21 that Jesus was hungry. Uh, We see in Matthew 8 that he slept through a storm in a boat. You know what that means? That means that he was exhausted. Some of you can absolutely conk out. I'm sure some of you guys went home and conked out last night and just slept like there was no tomorrow, right? Like just exhausted after you do a ton. Jesus was exhausted. And here he is in a boat and the boat's going through a storm and he is just asleep. Why? Because he was fully human. We see in Mark 10 that he was indignant, which means that he got angry. John 11, we see that Jesus wept over the loss of a friend. In Matthew 20, we see that he has pity. In Matthew 26, we see that he's sorrowful, that he's troubled. Jesus felt the emotions that we feel. He faced the temptations that we face. In Hebrews 4.15, it says, we do not have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Jesus understands our hurts. There's this series of commercials that's been floating around and they just irk me a little bit. They're uh, Kevin Hart, who's a a famous um, movie guy. Actor, Actor. thank you. (laughs) Wow, it's one of those days. Kevin Hart, famous actor. He's worth $450 million, okay? He's done well for himself. 
He gets up in these commercials and he's talking about a credit card that gives you cash back. Ooh, look at all those savings. Bro, you don't care. What do you need cash back for? You don't need savings. You don't need extra earnings. It doesn't matter to you. Why would I go and get this credit card? Why would I listen to you? You don't care. You don't get my desire for cash back. Pass, right? Like he doesn't get us at all. Some people look at Jesus in that same light. You don't get us. You were perfect. I'm not perfect. You didn't deal with all these things. I'm struggling with these issues. I'm facing this. I'm dealing with all these emotions. You didn't get it because you were God. No, no, no. That's not true. Jesus gets us. He understands those emotions that we feel because he faced a lot of those same emotions. He understands those temptations. He faced those temptations. Now, he didn't sin, and that was one of the biggest differences between him and us, but he faced a lot of what we face. He gets us. Look again in Matthew 27 at verse 46. It says, at about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice. He didn't just say it. Hey, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? No, he yelled it. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He's feeling the emotion of it. I've had people share with me that they're afraid to express their frustrations to God. They felt like it wasn't right or honorable to do so. I I can't say that to God. But here by Jesus expressing his emotion, he shows that he understands us. He shows that God wants to hear our complaints and frustrations. He was honest with his emotions and he invites us to be honest with our emotions as well. Jesus isn't distant. By him quoting this psalm, he shows that he understands our hurts. But also by quoting this psalm, we learn and are assured that Jesus is our Messiah. Jesus is our Messiah. Remember, we're looking at how the Old Testament points to Jesus. And though Jesus only quotes half of the first verse of Psalm 22, there's many other connections to Jesus's death in this Psalm. We're going to take a look at this passage in Matthew that has most of these connections. So Matthew, starting in verse 35 of chapter 27, Matthew 27, starting in verse 35. It says, and when they had crucified him, they divided his garments among them by casting lots. Then they sat down and kept watch over him there. And over his head, they put this charge against him, which read, this is Jesus, the king of the Jews. Then two robbers were crucified with him, one on the right and one on the left. And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, you who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. If you're the son of God, come down from the cross. So also the chief priests with the scribes and elders mocked him, saying, he's the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross and we'll believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God deliver him now if he desires him. For he said, I'm the son of God. And the robbers who were crucified with him also reviled him in the same way. You see the connections to what we just read? Some of this is like straight out of the psalm. 
In, in the Psalm, verse seven, it says, all who see me mock me. We just read that they derided him. They mocked him. They reviled him. Also in verse seven of our Psalm, it, it says that they wag their heads. We've got that exactly in verse 39. They wagging their heads. Verse eight is that, that mocking. Oh, he trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. We have that exact quote here in verse 43. He trusts in God, let God deliver him now. In verse 16 of our Psalm, it says, they have pierced my hands and feet. And here in verse 35, we see they crucified him. By the way, when that Psalm was written, crucifixion didn't exist. Crucifixion didn't exist for another 500 years after that Psalm was written. So I can almost imagine David writing, and God, you want me to write what? pierced my, okay, I don't know what that means, but sure, they pierced my hands and feet. Okay, I'm going to write that down. I don't get it. And here, almost a thousand years after that was written, it's, it's coming to fruition. And, and when it was first written, no one had any idea what that meant. Verse 18 in the Psalm, it says, they divide my garments among them and from my clothing, they cast lots. Verse 35, we see that actually happen. They divided his garments among them by casting Lots. If you're keeping track, that's five different prophecies from that psalm alone of the hundreds of prophecies that were made about Jesus. Five of those prophecies were just fulfilled. Now, these prophecies are different than other prophecies. Many Old Testament prophecies we've already looked at in this series and many others gave hope and looked forward. Like Zechariah 9 uh, that we just looked at last week. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation is he. Jeremiah 23, the days are coming when I'll raise up for David a righteous branch and he'll reign as king and deal wisely, shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell securely. Psalm 110 says, the Lord sends forth from Zion your mighty scepter, rule in the midst of your enemies. Isaiah 9 says, his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Genesis 3 says, he shall bruise your head, you shall bruise his heel. All of these passages gave the readers at the time hope for a coming Messiah. They'd read this and go, wow, there's this great guy coming and he's gonna save us and he's gonna do all these things and he's gonna rule and he's gonna make everything right again. And we're excited and we have hope. But it's not quite the same in this Psalm. It's a little different. Now, what's crazy to me is that here there's all these pointers from the Old Testament ahead to Jesus. And then when Jesus shows up, many people didn't believe that he actually was the Messiah. But when Jesus quotes Psalm 22.1, he's telling his listeners that he is the Messiah. He's pointing them back to a passage that prophesied with his coming without the original readers realizing it. So the Psalm wasn't full of forward-facing prophecies. Rather, it was full of specific things that would happen to Jesus in the future, allowing future readers to look back and see that this psalm was talking about him. The psalm in and of itself was half of the puzzle until Jesus showed up. So Jesus shows up. He lives his life. He fulfills hundreds of prophecies. These five prophecies were fulfilled in Jesus's crucifixion. And after those five were fulfilled after he quotes Psalm 22, 1. 
And in doing so, he brings the chief priests, the scribes, and the elders that are present right back to the rest of the psalm. See, when it says in Matthew, it it points out the chief priests, scribes, and the elders. Those were the religious leaders at the time. Those were the people that had the entirety of the Old Testament memorized. So as soon as Jesus said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? They're rattling off the rest of that psalm in their heads. They know it. Similar to the way, like if I said, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Some of you are starting to rattle off the rest of Psalm 23, right? He makes me lie down in green pastures, you know, surely goodness and mercy. Yeah, I know that. Or if I say uh, John 3, 16, right? For God so loved the world, and I stop there. You're gonna finish it. He gave his only forgotten, you know, like, like you know the rest of it, so you know the rest of what's coming. So when Jesus says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? They're starting to see the rest. For my clothing, they cast lots. I, I just saw those guys do that right over there. They, they, they mock me. They wag their heads. About. Those people just did that over there. And when it says, he trusts in God, let God deliver him. I'm the one that said that. They start putting the pieces together and going, That psalm was about Jesus. That psalm was saying that this guy that we're crucifying, this guy that I just mocked and laughed at, was the very one that was talked about in Psalm 22. How did I miss that? Can you imagine the Pharisee a couple weeks later in synagogue opening up the scrolls to Psalm 22? And starting to read, they've pierced my hands and feet. How did we miss it? That guy that we crucified was the Messiah, and we didn't get it. Don't you be like them. Don't you miss it. We have the beauty of the Old and New Testament together. The pieces are right here, put together. Jesus was the other half of the puzzle. A simple quote of half a verse helped them see that Psalm 22 was about him. It's all about Jesus. Friends, this Psalm teaches us to hope in God and what he's done. It shows us that Jesus understands our hurts. But the most important thing it shows us is that Jesus was no mere man. Rather, he was exactly who he said he was, the Messiah. God in the flesh came to take the punishment that we deserve so that we could be forgiven and declared righteous. We're about to take communion. And this is a time for all who call Jesus their Lord and Savior to remember what he did for them on the cross. We're gonna sing a song before we take communion. And during that time, I'd invite you to reflect on Jesus. Who is Jesus to you? Are you putting your hope in him? Does he understand your hurts? Is he your Messiah? God, thank you for your word. Thank you for showing up 
in the flesh, Jesus, for allowing all these things to happen to you, being mocked, ridiculed, laughed at, pierced hands and feet, and then pointing people back to the scripture that they needed to see was always about you, that they didn't get until you showed up. God, help us to get it, to see that you are who you said you were, the Messiah, God in the flesh, come to save us, to be that beautiful sacrifice that each and every one of us needs. God, as we take this time and just reflect, may our hearts be drawn to you and may we come with humility and honesty before you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. Continue the conversation with us on social media. Never miss a message and subscribe to our podcast on iTunes.